Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well. Another week, we're inching closer to the middle of August, which also means, if you haven't noticed already, the days are starting to get shorter. It's not 9 o'clock and still light out. It's actually 8.30 and it's pitch black. Also, the mornings have become later as well. If you notice that the sun is rising just a little bit later, as we get closer to September, to the fall, dare I say, cooler weather. I'm not ready to let go. But more importantly, people, make sure that you make these days count. Whether you're a summer person or you're just waiting to fast forward to the colder weather, and we all know that there may be a round two, not that we've gotten past round one of this virus, but whatever it is that's going on in your world, make sure to continue to stay positive, sane, healthy, productive, all that, because the last thing you want to do is wish time away or just wish for better days to arrive where you could certainly take a hold of it and do the best that you can and make these days count. And with that being said, I'm going to make sure that this podcast counts when it comes to everything that's happening in the sports world because you've come to the right place to listen to it all here on the latest edition of the J Reels podcast. This is your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. Thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to bless you with everything that's going on in the world of sports. And for those who've been banging with me for now 149 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It's a Monday, August the 10th in the year of our Lord 2020. The J Reels, what's the deal segment? What to expect here on this podcast is as follows. Qualifying week in the NHL has concluded, and now we could go ahead and start the conference quarterfinals as they'll kick off tomorrow in Edmonton and in Toronto. I'll preview what the Stanley Cup playoffs are now really going to be like and get an idea as to what teams will be at the top. We know it's Philadelphia and Vegas in both the East and West, so I'll preview that later on. Also, in college football, the Power Five, are they looking to cancel the season? Well, not if the players say so, as they made a statement last night through Twitter where they do want to play, but there is some controversy behind that. I'll delve into all of that and what that means for college football and why they should not play the season, and the reasons are obvious, not only because of coronavirus, but I'll detail that later on. The NBA is getting closer to the playoffs as Friday will conclude the restart of the NBA season. I'll touch on all the storylines, including the Lakers. Are they in trouble all of a sudden? They've lost three in a row. LeBron was out with a groin, although he did play yesterday against the Pacers. But is there trouble in La La Land? At least for the Lakers, maybe not so for the Clippers. So I'll touch on that. And in golf yesterday, the first major of 2020 finally played eight months into the year was a barn burner in Harding Park as Colin Morikawa. Wins in only his second major at 23 years old. I'll talk about that, including that shot on 16, the tee shot, which pretty much set him up a shot for the ages for the young fellow. And also get into this Brooks Kepka with Dustin Johnson and how that sparked a little, I don't want to say controversy, but a little rift where Rory McIlroy had to step in and throw in his two cents. So I'll be able to dissect all that later on. My hero in zero of the week, of course, at the back end. But to... Kick us off here as we're now officially 10 days into sports and we get that baseball started back on July the 23rd and they pretty much had the stage for about a week until the NBA and NHL stepped in. But the main thing I look at here is has everybody bought in? Has everybody been full bore when it comes to the sports? Considering four and a half months, we didn't have it. We were dying for it. Pretty much desperate just to watch anything competitive that didn't have anything to do with an ESPN Classic or an NBA Hardwood Classic or any of the games of the past that we probably watched over the course of this pandemic. But now as sports is entrenched into the American fabric 
and that we're able to watch and that we're able to dissect and divulge and digest everything that's been happening here. Has everybody been on board? Now, of course, I have to follow. This is what I do, as everybody knows. And, of course, I can't watch every game of every minute, every play, every waking second. But I've slowly but surely have gotten into it. And I guess what was good about it is that baseball, considering that they had the first week to themselves and then you had the NBA and the NHL follow suit. But I thought it was going to be a little bit tough if you listen to my podcast, I believe the week right before the baseball season started. And how this four and a half month break, although I was dying and at times it was difficult to muster up any type of storylines, although we were pretty much busy, the last dance, and we did have some NFL stuff with the free agency and also the NFL draft and baseball with everything that happened with them, knowing that if there wasn't going to be a season or was going to be a season, it was go up in the air and question marks abound. So we were able to get through those months okay. But now that sports is back in the fold, I'm just wondering how everybody else is feeling. Are they just too busy with their lives, just trying to either look for work or because it's in the middle of the summer, besides baseball being part of the ritual throughout summer, day to day, always a game, always following. But with the other sports, with basketball, hockey, the winter sports, knowing that it's a little bit strange to watch some postseason in the NHL when it's 90 degrees outside or picking up where the NBA left off as they get to the postseason where right now, free agency would have been long in the rearview mirror and Summer League would have pretty much been completed. So now that you have these sports on the docket, has everybody bought in? Is everybody involved? Is everybody following? Is everybody watching? I wonder if that's the case as I'm trying to take the pulse of not only just the listener, and I understand that this isn't a two-way sports talk type of platform here, but with the people who do listen, kind of curious to find out whether or not have you been... 100% in, 50%, 90%, just baseball, excited about the basketball, not so much on the hockey. We understand golf and some of the other sports. I'm just talking about pretty much the four majors and NFL, which to think a month from today, that's right, September 10th is the beginning of the NFL season. So just keep that in mind and put that in perspective how the NFL, which hasn't really dealt with the coronavirus as far as games are concerned, and we can look at no preseason games as a factor here, But we're talking about regular season. So they have a month to deal with that. And let's see how that kicks off when in Kansas City, will the season be able to start on time? And will there be a game between Houston and Kansas City to start off this 2020 season? But that is for down the road. But as far as the other sports, I'm just kind of wondering, taking the temperature of how everybody feels. And of course, you can hit me up on any of my social media accounts, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc., And please share your thoughts. And I'll tack that on at the back end of the podcast as I normally do. And I'll start us off with the hottest team in baseball right now, which is the Oakland A's. And it made me think last night after them sweeping the Houston Astros, which precipitated a brawl in the middle of the game, which I'll get to in a second. But here's a team that's made the postseason in the last two years. And in a short 60-game season, as we all know, anything could happen. And it's only 16 games in. There's still 44 more to play. But right now, the record shows that they are the best team in baseball. Now, does anybody really believe that? Yours truly doesn't. Now, they have been formidable. They have been good during the regular season. And we all know the history of the Oakland A's, especially over the course of the last 20 years. They've had good teams for the most part. They've had a lot of lows as opposed to the highs. But in recent memory, making it to the wild card game the last two years, Losing in Yankee Stadium two years ago, losing at home to Tampa last year, and now they're on the verge of maybe taking it to the next level, not only with this hot start, but also seeing if they could finally go deep into October to make a run here with a team that if you line them up right in front of you and if your life depended on it, you probably couldn't pick out one player, let alone three or four. We know the team is led by the Mats and Matt Olson and Matt Chapman. Of course, their shortstop, who was uh, an MVP candidate last year, and Marcus Simeon. We all know about Chris Davis with a K, not the Baltimore Oriole first baseman who has certainly fallen on hard times for his career over the last couple of years. And then when you look at their rotation, the one guy that any fan would probably know would be Sean Manaya, and he right now is their fifth starter on the team. Now, remember, he came back from injury last year. 
I believe he had a labrum or a shoulder situation that he was dealing with. But when you look at this rotation of Frankie Montas, Jesus Luzardo, who won the series sweep yesterday, and he's a young budding star on this Oakland A staff, Chris Bassett, and remember Mike Fires. They do have a good closer in Liam Hendricks, although we do have to see it in a big spot. But it's amazing how this team has been put together and how they've been consistent here over the last couple of years. And granted, it's only 16 games. It's not to get on a high horse or go crazy to think that the A's are going to be right now on the fast track to making it to a World Series. But you got to wonder if whether or not this can be a year where they could go deep. Now, we know their record in the postseason, especially in the century, has been awful. They've blown... Many games, especially in the postseason when it comes to elimination games. They've had 2-0 series leads on the Yankees that they've blown. They've had leads against the Red Sox in 2003 when they were up 2-0 and they've blown. And they are just putrid when it comes to elimination. All you got to do is look at the wild card games the last two years. And I understand you're not going to base it all just on what's happened this century. But at the same time, the A's have certainly not been able to get out of their own way when it comes to October. Now we understand that's still a long ways to go. And with other teams, as we well know in the American League, whether it's the Twins, although they just got swept by the Royals of all teams this weekend, and the Yankees, who had a tough weekend in Tampa themselves, we know that those two teams are the front runners, and you would think that Houston will certainly get back on the beam at some point, even without Justin Verlander, and it looks like it's going to be quite some time before he gets back. Now remember, it's already been 10, 11 days since he injured himself with the forearm strain. Who knows when he's going to be Back in the rotation. And that's going to be a big concern for a 6-9 and nine team. And a Houston Astro ball club. That is looking to try to get back to a postseason. To avenge everything that's happened. Whether it's losing all four games at home in the World Series last year. The sign stealing scandal. Which pretty much rocked baseball. And everything that led into the spring training and exhibition season. Where fans and other teams. Everybody getting on their case and trying to prove them wrong. Well, they certainly have not gotten off to a great start and on the wrong foot here as far as trying to defend their AL champion banner. But as far as the A's are concerned, can't knock what they've done so far and certainly what they've done as an organization in the last few years. Mind you, they haven't been able to take that next step. And something that needs to be brought to the attention here because the A's look like they're not going to go anywhere. They already have a five and a half game lead in the AL West, and we all know it's only 60 games. You know, this isn't the first month of April where we could look at and say, ah, it's a hot start, they'll cool off, or they'll be in the balance or in the mix there throughout the course of the year. But with 44 games to go and a five and a half game lead, you would think they're going to be in pretty good shape here to not only win a division, but also be able to play in a best of five series as opposed to a one game playoff where it's win or go home. Now, as far as their schedule to date, They've had had a lot of home cooking. 12 of their 16 games have been at home, so they're going to have to play a lot of games here on the road, which will certainly see how they're going to come together as a team and how they're able to play away from the ugly confines of the Oakland Alameda Coliseum. I'm sure it's called something else right now, but I always know that stadium as Oakland Alameda. But with the A's, it's just something to look out for considering their start nine in a row. The AL West is plummeting. The Angels haven't done well. Otani, Rendon, even though he's come back and Trout hit a home run after the birth of his kid. But we're looking at an AL West right now that the A's are on a freight train to the AL West Championship and hopefully for them beyond that. Now other notes of the past week and a half. The Marlins finally came back after that layoff. To the tune of a 7-3 record. Now mind you, they were 2-1 after the opening series in Philadelphia. They didn't play for 9 days. Came back and then they obliterated the Orioles. And the Orioles have played pretty well uh, for them. Right now I believe they're 7-7. So they haven't been terrible. But at the same time, the Marlins come back here off of this 9-day coronavirus halt. And although they lost 2 out of 3 to the Mets this weekend... But they've been playing pretty well. And not to say that this is going to sustain for any stretch or any length, you would think. But knowing that this is a team that is not going to do anything this season, for them to come back and to play some good ball was certainly encouraging, especially with the team being decimated with 19 players having COVID and not having everybody back 
on the team, 100% healthy or at least ready to play. So that was something that I certainly looked at as impressive after a long layoff like that and to be able to come back. And the Orioles have had their stretches too here. Because remember, they had to cancel those games with the Marlins the week prior. And then they had to come off a weekend where they, although swept Tampa, but they got beat up by the Yankees. And then here the Marlins did them in over the course of those four games. So good for them. Kudos for them. Let's see if they can keep that up. Also, the Cardinals are now on the clock with COVID, as we know. And this is where it could get ugly for a central team that, as of today, where most teams have played anywhere between 15 and 16 games, they've only played five. And they've had the last three series canceled. And they're going to have this upcoming series against the Pirates canceled as well. So they're going to lose out 12 games here. How are they going to make this up? Who knows? I understand Major League Baseball right now, they're still holding their breath and crossing their fingers, just praying that this is the last hurdle for them to cross when it comes to dealing with coronavirus and players in the league. I know the Indians, they had to send home Zach Plesak, who was hanging out with friends in Chicago after a victory on Saturday night. And since he broke the health and safety protocols, they put him in a cab and sent him back to Cleveland knowing that if he came back, was around the team, and heaven forbid, got them infected, then boy, that just would have been a major quandary, not only just for them, for the league, but even more so for the sport. So the Indians had the wherewithal to just nip that in the bud, quit fast in a hurry. But as far as the Cardinals are concerned, who knows when they're going to play these games, make them up, etc. And right now, you're looking at a Cardinal team that may end up playing, as crazy as this may sound, they could play 45 games this year. Now, what does that mean in the grand scheme of things when they talk about tiebreakers and win percentage? I know it's going to sound weird, but if their win percentage happens to be better than a team that played, let's say, 58 games or the full 60, do they make the postseason? Uh, Something has to be done with that. But that's for something to worry about down the road. That isn't anything to concern yourself now. But the Cardinals are just hoping to get back on the field maybe sometime later in the week, if not starting Friday in the weekend. But right now, that situation is certainly looking dire for the Cardinals to even make any hay in the National League to get themselves back on the beam and do some damage as far as trying to get back in a season and into the playoff mix for this sprint of an MLB season. Now, other things that have popped up here from the new cycle, I know last Monday, a big blow to the Braves where Mike Soroka blew his Achilles on that grounder where he was trying to cover first against the Mets. Huge blow. Who knows if they're going to be resourceful here at the deadline, which should be coming up. It's probably going to be August 31st. I should have checked that prior to. I'll make sure I have that for you guys next week. But with him going on the IL for the rest of the year, you would think that the Braves were going to make a move. They are tops in the NL East as of right now, and an NL East that's not looking or shaping up to be competitive as a lot of people thought it would be. The Phillies have not played well. The Mets have been... A little better this week, but still under 500. The Marlins, I just talked about how well they played since the return, but you don't expect them to be part of the NL East race. And then the Nationals are at the bottom. Not too far behind the Phillies, but a polar opposite, but pretty much equivalent to what they did last year when they started off their season 19-31, and and we all know how their 2019 season ended. So not a very competitive NL East. So if the Braves could get some reinforcements to get another veteran starting pitcher... Who that guy is, I certainly don't know at this very moment, but you would think that they're going to make a move here to try to bring in a bona fide starter, maybe not a number one, but a number two or somebody just to stabilize that pitching staff so they could get themselves deep into October. You also had the news with Albert Pujols, who early this week hit his 659th home run, who is now one behind Willie Mays at 660 for fifth all time. And the one thing I can think of when I look at this season, considering that he has this year and next year are his final two years of his contract with the Angels, how if he would have had a full season, chances are he probably would have got to 700 by the end of next year. But now as we look at it, and who knows what's going to happen at the start of next year, which I'm sure they're probably going to have to use the same template as this year if there isn't a treatment or vaccine for this virus where no fans, they're going to have to pretty much implement the same health and safety protocols to have a 162-game season. 
Now, again, that's for next year. We don't know how this is all going to unfold. But with Pujols, just to think that A-Rod was four short, Alex Rodriguez, that is, of 700 home runs for his career. And it would have been nice to see, or at least to witness, in this generation, this era, a player who is a first ballot Hall of Famer. One of the best right-handed hitters in all, all time. There is no if ands, buts, maybe's about it. I get that you could look at his Anaheim Angel tenure as not being Hall of Fame worthy. But when you look at those first 10, 11 years in St. Louis, there isn't a debate. And it's just a shame that Pujols, chances are he's probably not going to get to 700. Right now, I believe at 659, what is it, 41 home runs, he would have to hit, I would think, another 10, 11 home runs just to get close to 30. And you figure if he could just push 30 for a full season, he could probably do it. But who knows? But for Pujols, a guy who has just had an unbelievable career, two World Series, multiple MVPs, the top 10 finishes and MVPs, I believe he has nine top five MVP finishes in his career. And granted, all that was with St. Louis. I mean, he's been good to below average with Anaheim, and he's going to slow down. The guy's 40 years old. But he's still able to have home run power. He's still able to put a jolt in one time after time. And with him pretty much being a full-time DH, you can only hope that he'll get his four at-bats throughout the rest of this year and into next year to come close to 700 because that's something that I would like to see and I'm sure a lot of baseball fans would like to see as well. A guy to reach that plateau where only three other men in the history of the sport has ventured. And I understand you can look at Barry Bonds and juicing and all that, but he does have 762 and Aaron's 755 and, of course, Babe Ruth's 714. And to wrap up with the baseball, a couple other things of note. I mentioned that the Yankees and Twins have come back to earth a little bit here. Uh, the Tigers in the Central, 8-5, and five, who would have thought they'd be in second place in the Central? And you would think that they would probably fall off at some point. But give them credit, they've actually played pretty well. We talked about the AL West, that it's pretty much Oakland and everybody else at, the, at this stage. Same for the East. Now the Central, despite the Cardinals only playing five games, the Cubs have certainly gotten themselves off on the right foot. And you would think, new manager, maybe the players started to tune out Joe Madden. They've been reinvigorated here by the start, 10-3, and three, looking to be a threat to the Dodgers, to the Braves here in the National League. And with all the other teams there, with the Pirates, of course, are the dregs of the Central and pretty much baseball. Overall, in the Reds, a lot of people thought that they were going to be a sexy pick. They certainly have not played well, although Trevor Bauer's been phenomenal. I mean, his ERA's under one to this point. And then out west with the Rockies and Dodgers trying to give them a run for their money. Now you would think at the end of the day the Dodgers will leapfrog over the Rockies to get the division crown which would be their eighth straight. But the Rockies with a little bit of turmoil this offseason. Situation with Nolan Arenado, their prized third baseman, the face of the franchise and how there was a little back and forth with the front office as far as them wanting to win and put all their chips to the middle of the table, and doubting whether or not they wanted to do so. Well, they've gotten off to a good start here, and let's see if they're able to sustain that. And also, the exploits of a one, Fernando Tatis Jr., who has been just otherworldly, and he's a young talent that you certainly have to watch. He's on the rise. He just hit his eighth home run yesterday, which ties Aaron Judge for the Major League lead. And Tatis, just to think, a lot of people thought when Manny Machado signed there last year to the tune of 10 years for $300 million, that he was going to be the guy to pretty much carry the whole San Diego Padre franchise, which you haven't seen since Tony Gwynn. Well, it looks like Tatis Jr. is going to have a say in who's going to be the man on that team. And you got to wonder, how does that make Machado feel as he's pretty much the guy that's playing right next to him as far as the infield or the left side of the infield is concerned? Just something to keep note of, but Tatis has certainly been meteoric as far as his rise as one of the top young players in baseball. And if you want to pay attention to the 400 record, I know that was something I talked at the very top of my pseudo baseball preview, how 400 wasn't going to mean anything. All I got to say is get back to me September 1st. I know Charlie Blackman's hitting 458 and Donovan Solano of all people, he of the San Francisco Giants, he's bounced around everywhere, most notably for the Miami Marlins back in the day. He's batting 455. Uh, they're not going to be able to sustain that. Now, you think Solano's definitely not. And then Blackman, who has been a good hitter and an all-star, but you figure that clip is going to 
start to dwindle as the days continue to click off the calendar. But right now, I'm not going to get into any foreigner talk. Like I said, get me into next month and then we'll discuss it. Because then he'll only have 28 to 30 games left to go, or even less than that. And if Blackman is flirting with it at that time, same for Solano, got to give it up. But especially Blackman, if he's flirting with the idea of trying to get to 400, which hasn't been seen since the 1950s, I believe 51 with Ted Williams, then we could certainly talk about it then. All right, let me turn my attention to the NBA as basketball will conclude its restart of the regular season come Friday. And lots of news and notes have come out from the bubble since we last spoke. Now, before I get to the eighth seed out west, I know everybody's wondering whether or not the Lakers, if there's a little chink in the armor when it comes to them as they get ready to push toward an NBA final and hopefully getting their first championship since 2010. I know some of the talk here over the last few days has been have the Lakers put their foot off the gas? LeBron had the groin injury. I don't think it's a, the same one that he suffered back on Christmas of last year against Golden State. But you wonder with getting into the flow, not only just of the scrimmage games, but now the regular season games as they prep and prime for a long postseason run, you got to wonder whether these next couple of games are going to mean anything. They already have the one seed clinched. You would think they're going to be rested. Now, mind you, this comes off of a four and a half month hiatus. Understand that. But I know Frank Vogel, the coach of the team, is certainly going to take precaution here. I don't think it's anything to worry about. It's much ado about nothing, if you ask me. If this was in the postseason, if this was the first round where, let's say, they're already down 1-0 or down 2-1, then maybe I could say, well, this doesn't bode well as they get deeper into the Western Conference and if they do make it to an NBA final. But right now, To me, the Lakers, I think they're going to be fine. Let me see this happen during a playoff series. I'm not going to worry or wonder whether or not, geez, are they clicking on all cylinders? Is everybody cohesive? Is everybody on the same page? I'm not going to look at it from that regard. Just get me to the postseason, and then I'll be able to manage it from there. And even though they've lost some tough games here to the Pacers yesterday, where T.J. Warren has been the darling And the MVP of this restart, considering he had the 53 points the week before, he had 39 last night, including seven to close out the Lakers in a game where they were trailing and they came from behind to win. And then they lost to the Thunder and the Rockets over the weekend. Those are teams that are going to the postseason and have certainly have done pretty well since the restart has begun. So if you're a Laker fan, if you're the Lakers, I I certainly don't think that I would sweat anything right this moment. Just wait till you get to Next week, start the postseason, which I believe will be Tuesday or Monday and Tuesday, you would think would be the start of the postseason. They'll probably have the four matchups on Monday, the four matchups on Tuesday, and away they go. Because the season does end Friday. I believe they're not going to play any games Saturday and Sunday. So this time next week, we'll be talking NBA postseason. And I would think the Lakers are going to be ready to go as deep into this late summer into fall as expected. Now, let's talk about the West from this regard. Well, before I even get to that, you know, it's very encouraging to know that the bubble has certainly worked, not only for the NBA, but also for the NHL. Very encouraging to know that since the 29th of July, they've had no positive tests in the bubble, so we know that it works. Now, mind you, you can't have that one guy go astray if you're Lou Williams, if you're, well, not that Montrezl Harrell did, he's actually back, so he'll be joining the Clippers, you would think, toward the end of this week. Maybe we'll get some burn. I know there has to be, I believe, four days before he could even suit up since he's now back in the bubble. But as long as everybody behaves, as long as everybody is doing what they're supposed to do and maintaining the health and safety protocols, this is something that should be and has been successful. So kudos to the NBA for doing that out of the 343 players that were tested. None have come back positive. Now, as far as the eight seed is concerned, you could say goodbye to Sacramento and to New Orleans. I know a lot of people were hoping and praying that Zion would get to the eighth seed and get into the postseason. And you got to wonder whether or not him being out of the bubble, having to deal with some family issues, hurt him. Now, he did have a stretch where he played well in a few games. Remember last week, 
I bitched and moaned about how this kid isn't playing in the final minutes of games due to the minutes restriction, which I thought was an absolute travesty considering that he had four and a half months off and I understand the knee injury and et cetera, but he's a young kid. He's strong. He's ginormous. How can you not let go of the reins for this young buck where you have everything in front of you, especially if they made it to the postseason where the ratings I'm sure would go up despite the ratings maybe not being to where it is right now or where it, may, where it possibly should be. But when you look at what they've done here, the Pelicans that is, it's just a shame that they've fallen short and despite the few games that Zion has performed well, a lot of the reports, and I haven't watched any of these games here with the Pelicans, but from what I've been able to gather is that he's been sluggish on the defensive end, he has not been good, and therefore that's where they've suffered. And you're not going to see the Pelicans until next year, and you could only hope that Zion will be 100% ready to go, full steam ahead, healthy as can be, and you could see him play throughout the whole season. So we could say goodbye to the Pelicans and Zion's chances for the postseason. Now, when you have some of these major injuries, Memphis had a big blow with Jaron Jackson tearing his meniscus. But in the East with the Sixers, they're looking at double trouble here. Not only did they lose Ben Simmons with a dislocated kneecap, so you could say sayonara to number 25, but also Joel Embiid injures his ankle where his status is uncertain. And I haven't really watched the Sixers play, and we all know Embiid, his health, more so his conditioning, is the big thing. Now, we get that to the start of his career. He had the foot issues. He didn't play in a ton of games in his first two or three years in his, in his career. And now that he's been able to play on a much more consistent level the past couple of years, the one thing that's been the bugaboo about him was staying away from the cheeseburgers and milkshakes. And now with this ankle, I don't know if it's a weight issue. Again, I haven't really watched the Sixers perform here. But that's going to bode poorly for them if they have any chance of making a deep run in this NBA postseason. We know Simmons, how he is offensively. He's a triple-double machine, and especially if he could score from the perimeter, that would just be a complete boon for them. But we all know on the defensive side, he is a top-flight defender, which he could lock down the likes of any point guard, any wing, and even any big man for that matter. So to lose him and to not have him in the lineup from now until as long as they're in the postseason, that's just a crushing blow. And you got to give it up for Portland. They've played well here, and they're certainly putting the pressure on the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, the funny thing is the hottest team coming back to the bubble has been the Phoenix Suns. And the Suns, they are a half game behind the Trailblazers right now, where the Trailblazers are a half game behind the Memphis Grizzlies for the eighth spot. So we're going to see how that plays out here over the course of the next few days. And I know Draymond Green fined $50,000 for his comments on TNT saying that Devin Booker should leave the Suns because it would not be good for his career. Now the Suns, they're a young team. You would only hope that they're building this team the right way. We know about DeAndre Ayton being the big man that's on this team. We know Booker's a great shooter. The kid from Villanova that they drafted, Michael Bridges, hopefully he's a guy that could be an impact player. Not that you expect much out of him, but he could be that player that will complement that team. And if they continue to maybe even bring a free agent, I don't know what the salary cap situation is, but the Suns' future does look bright despite them being just an absolute travesty over the course of pretty much the whole century. I mean, when have the Suns ever been good? I know you could go back to those Steve Nash teams and then making a threat with San Antonio the one year, I believe it was at 2005. So they've had some moments here, but when you think of Suns basketball, you're certainly not thinking of anything that's happened here in the course of the last 20 years. So the Suns, although they played well and now they're looking to see if they can get that eighth spot, but Lillard and his performance, Damian Lillard that is, and the way he's performed here, scoring 51 yesterday, and I know the big story over the weekend was him joining back and forth with Patrick Beverly, as well as Paul George on the LA Clippers in a game where it looked like the Blazers were going to pull out of their rear end, but when Lillard got to the line there late and he missed both free throws, Paul George and company pointing to their wrists, you know, Dame time and pretty much sending him goodbye with that little flick of the wrist, which I know annoyed Damian Lillard. And I know that was from banter back and forth going back to when PG-13 was a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder and 
that deep three that Dame Lillard took last year in the postseason, which knocked Oklahoma City out of the playoffs. And then you look at the memes with Lillard afterwards with the straight face and everybody crowded around him and jumping up and down. Obviously, there's a lot of animosity going back to that series. And then Beverly, I believe after a shot there on Saturday, Lillard's going back down the court and joining towards Beverly at the bench says, come out here and guard me. So who knows if they ever meet up in a postseason. Now, granted, if Portland does make it at the eight, they will have to play the Lakers in the first round. And I don't think they're going to reseed. It's going to be one, eight, four, five. So if the Clippers and Trailblazers meet up, it's going to be in a conference final, which the likelihood of that happening, I mean, please. But that was something to watch over the weekend to see Lillard perform at an MVP level and him going back and forth. And what was a crushing loss, but they were able to get back in the win column last night behind Lillard's 51 points. So it's going to be fascinating to see here who's going to make it into that eighth seed. I think Portland, as the way it looks right now, Portland would definitely be the better team to go up against the Lakers. They actually beat them earlier this year, I believe maybe twice. I know one for sure in that one game after the death of Kobe Bryant, their first game back to Lakers, that is. Portland beat them at home, if you recall. But uh, they would certainly be more formidable than a young Memphis team with no Jaron Jackson, and it would have to be all John Morant, and that would be a tall order for them to overcome. So there's a part of me that's rooting for Portland. I don't think Phoenix, I, I wouldn't look for Phoenix to get that final spot Although anything could happen, we'll see. But Portland looks like they're hell-bent to get themselves into a postseason. And how far they could go, that certainly remains to be seen. So let's see how it all plays out. And we'll certainly touch back on that next week. A couple of other quick things. I know the Luka pass through the legs there late where he had Giannis guarding him. And that made all the rage throughout social media and the highlight reels. And we all know how great Luka is. But for ESPN and some of these outlets, they're already looking at a... Luka Giannis rivalry down the road well first off is Giannis going to be with the Bucks after next year because remember he's a free agent and one Dallas and Milwaukee only play twice a year so to even call it some sort of a rivalry is they're just looking for storyline and that's a storyline that please if you're going to buy into that or feed into that then you got to find something else to follow because until Dallas and Milwaukee play in one final and they got to play in one first then maybe we could talk about a rivalry, maybe. It's not Bird and Magic. It's not Lakers Celtics. These are two teams that certainly have bright futures, mind you, if Giannis does stay in Milwaukee. But for them to, because of this game on Friday night and the pass, and it was a high scoring game, and we all know those are two of the top talents in the NBA, for some of these people to even claim that this could be the next great rivalry, ugh, stop it. And then you had the Nets, who have the 8 seed, they have it locked up. And they both beat the Bucks and the Clippers this week, which was surprising. I know the Bucks, they were resting some players there. They weren't going full throttle. I don't know about the Clipper game. I know Kawhi did play in the game. Mind you, he missed the game before with knee soreness, which it just makes you shake your head. And I get it that this may be chronic. This is something that has to be monitored. He can't play back-to-backs, whatever. But remember what I said a couple of months ago in watching the Last Dance, the Jordan documentary, how that stretch from 96 to 98 out of 302 games that the Bulls played, Jordan didn't miss any games. And I get it. This is a new generation. It's a different world. These players aren't built the way they once were. And back then it was more mental, psychological, etc. Where today, if they're not physically ready, then they're just going to check out or they're just going to wait on the sidelines until the games really matter. And that's what you want to see. You want to see the top stars play in the games that matter. I understand that. but And it's just a shame. If it comes across me knocking on Kawhi Leonard, and right, I'm not a doctor, and I'm certainly not his body, and he could tell me to go to hell for all he cares, and I get that. But four and a half month layoff, coming back into the mix. He's 28 years old. I get he has this aggravating knee injury, but it it just boggles the mind. That's all it is. Nothing personal against him. It just makes you wonder whether or not he's going to be built for four rounds starting on Monday or Tuesday. And uh, let's hope that's the case if you're a Clipper fan. Uh, So that's what I got with the NBA. As far as the NHL is concerned, we have the postseason. The qualifying round is now in our rearview mirror. So you could look at the Stanley Cup playoffs officially beginning tonight. I understand it officially began 
a week ago last Saturday. But we can look at the NHL right now. We have the 16 teams. They're all set up, ready to go. And the first storyline coming out of last week was the 12 seeds beating the 5 seeds. And if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins or the Edmonton Oilers, you have your stick between your legs skating home. And it's going to be a quick summer, but I'm sure a long one in the memory because when you have two teams, one where is an upstart with the Blackhawks considering that they had the experience and they've been there in the Jonathan Tays of the world and the Patrick Canes and the Corey Crawfords, the guys I mentioned last week. And then you look at a Canadian team, which they have the goalie and carry price, but a team that's nondescript with guys, certainly not the Canadians of old. And they go in and they beat both of these squads in Edmonton and Pittsburgh in four games. And it makes you wonder, were these guys really ready to play? Now give them credit to the Canadians and also to the Blackhawks for doing what they did. But now, can they take this next step? Now can Montreal be that team as an eight seed, knock off the one seed in the Philadelphia Flyers? Same for Chicago beating Vegas. As now Vegas and the Philadelphia Flyers are the top seed as determined in the round robin over the course of the past week where they were able to secure the number one seed. And we all know in the NHL, it is a crapshoot. So with the Blackhawks, will they have enough to sustain against a Vegas team that, as we all know, two years ago made it to a cup final and arguably got robbed of not winning their first round against San Jose because of a high-sticking call that pretty much... Gave San Jose three power play goals and then winning it in overtime. So Vegas are looking to try to get back to a final, which they did in their inaugural season. And then the Blackhawks, listen, they they could be tough. And it's weird with the Blackhawks because even after that last cup in 2015, it's almost as if they faded into oblivion. You didn't really hear about them. They haven't really done anything since then. Haven't had any playoff runs or any deep playoff runs for that matter. And now here they are, back in the postseason, thanks to coronavirus, because they wouldn't have made it into the postseason if it wasn't because of the pandemic. And now, here they are in the first round, or you want to call it second round, and they have a legitimate shot. And let's see if that momentum builds for them in these first couple of games. Now, they'll play game one tonight, and when we're looking at both the East and the West, you have Columbus playing Tampa and Carolina playing Boston as well as Calgary, Dallas, and Vegas and Chicago. And then tomorrow, you have the Islanders playing the Caps, Montreal, Philly, Arizona, Colorado, Vancouver, and St. Louis. And if you're a Maple Leaf fan, I know you got to be sick because... Now, that was the only series that went five games in the qualifying round where the Maple Leafs were down two games to one. They had an overtime thriller where Austin Matthews wins a game four on Friday night. And Toronto, I'm sure, feeling better about themselves, hoping to try to get to not only win that fifth game and move into the quarterfinals of the Eastern Conference, but what do they do? They show up and execute a dud to the tune of a 3-0 loss. And the Maple Leaf fan has to continue to wallow, continue to suffer, continue to wonder whether this team has enough chutzpah, whether it has enough toughness, grit, etc., to try to get themselves over the hump to not only win a playoff series, but to get to a Stanley Cup final. As we all know, they have not seen the Stanley Cup raised over their heads since 1967. So, Maple Leaf fans, I feel you. But with this postseason, I'm looking at it from this lens and this perspective. We know the top seeds there, the Bostons of the world, Tampa was looking to atone last year's atrocity having, what was it, 118 points in the regular season, and then they got swept in the first round, which was, I mean, geez, I mean, what could you say? And they actually got swept in the first round by the team they're going to play. So keep that in mind. Then you have Islanders and Capitals. That's going to be a tough matchup for the Islanders because the Capitals have certainly been just on top of the East pretty much the whole year. I understand the Bruins have been the best team in the East and pretty much in the league. But the Capitals, they knew last year was tough for them. Little Stanley Cup hangover, and they're looking to make a deep run here. Montreal and Philadelphia, it, to me, it's going to be on Carey Price. If he doesn't have a series where he's literally on his head, stopping shots. And Philadelphia, it's going to be interesting. They're a one seed, and Philadelphia hasn't been a one seed. I would probably have to go back to the Lindros teams of the mid to late 90s. 
So I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of pressure on them. Granted that there are no fans, and we all know that they're going to be playing in Toronto, but you wonder, will the Flyers, and they played well here. They had a slow start to the season, and pretty much from, I would say, after the first 20 games, they kicked it into high gear. So now let's see what they're made of as they're going up against the eight-seed Canadians in this first round. And how I look at it here, now Columbus has some mojo here, winning that five-game series. So they're going into this game with a little bit of momentum. Tampa, as I said, has a lot to answer to. I'm going to say Tampa. I'm going to just pick Tampa here, only because if they can't look at what took place last year, especially against the team that they're going to be staring across the ice, and if they can't get up for this series, then I'll never ever pick them to win a big playoff series or any playoff series for that matter. So I'm going to pick Tampa six games. Boston's had too good of a year. I'm going to pick them in five. Capitals, I'll give them in six. I understand that's going against my Islanders, but still, the Capitals have been just a, they've been tough all year. And as far as Philadelphia, you would think they're going to win the first round, but I wouldn't be surprised they sweat a little bit. I'm going to say six games, but I could see them being down 2-1, and then they run the table from there and win in six games. As far as out West, I can't really gauge these teams because I don't follow a lot of the teams out West. I'm going to say Vegas. I'm going to start there. I think the Blackhawks, they probably will play well, but Vegas, I'm sure they'll probably overpower them. I'm going to pick them in six. Dallas and Calgary. Hmm. Calgary's a tough team. I, I, I like their toughness. I mean, I'm not crazy about Matt Kachuk, but I love Milan Lucic. We started off the game there with that fight, which I enjoyed there the, the other night. Uh, I'm going to pick Dallas in seven. Colorado's a team a lot of people expect to go deep. I'll pick them in six. And St. Louis, I'm going to pick them in five. And St. Louis, we all know, is looking to defend their cup title from last year. So those are going to be my picks there for the NHL. And I'll certainly be on top of all this as we get into this first round and deeper with this Stanley Cup playoff postseason. Now, before I turn my attention to college football, even the NFL for a little bit, I want to touch on the golf yesterday. Because going into that final round, it was certainly a crapshoot. And you could have put all those names in a hat and picked out who was going to come out victorious. Whether your name was Dustin Johnson, whether your name was Tony Finau, whether your name was Paul Casey, whether your name was Matthew Wolf, or we could go down the whole list. And it was certainly competitive. A lot of people thought maybe Dustin Johnson... Would have been the guy that was victorious because he was on the top of the leaderboard after the third round. Tiger wasn't part of the mix. I'll get to Tiger a little bit later on. And there was some news about Dustin Johnson after the third round on Saturday where Brooks Kepka, who was going for his third straight PGA, had made some comments toward Dustin Johnson as him being a guy that only has won one major. Now, I don't know if he was trying to get in his head. I don't know if he was trying to psych him out. Or who knows? And maybe Kepka, that was a little bit of gamesmanship on him. But it certainly didn't sit well with Rory McIlroy, who, as we all know, is a good young player in his own right and has won multiple majors on his resume. Well, he came out and said that he was taken aback by his statements and not knowing the history between Johnson and Kepka, but he kind of wondered, is there a little bit of disrespect there? Like, why would you even turn to a guy like that, even if he's only won one major golf tournament, But McElroy quipped and followed up with Dustin Johnson has 21 tour victories, which is three times more than what Kepka has won in his whole career. So I guess that was a little touche on McElroy's part to stick up for Johnson. And yeah, I don't know the history. I don't know why Kepka came out and said that. Maybe he was trying to get his head a little bit to get a little bit of an advantage so he could power through a final round and maybe come out victorious. But that was not to be the case as Colin Morikawa, at 23 years old and only his second major, wins the PGA, Harding Park in San Francisco, and everybody's going to look at the big shot, the tee shot on 16, where he drove it 297 yards on a par 4 to the green and then gets the eagle putt. At that point, he was tied for the lead with all the aforementioned names there with Finau, Dustin Johnson, even Scotty Scheffler. And he wins by two strokes. 
Just a magnificent shot by him and a guy that right now is ranked fifth in the world after that victory yesterday to where he raised the PGA trophy over his head and it almost collapsed on his head because he didn't realize that the top part actually comes off, which is a little bit of a scare, but also at the same time, a little comedy. Congratulations to Morikawa. Just a phenomenal shot, phenomenal fourth round. And think about this, people. He shot on Saturday a 65 and then yesterday a 64, which is the youngest ever to close out a final round in a major. Now, I mean, think about that. No other player, not even Tiger. In his heyday early on, remember he won that 97 Masters going away? He didn't even finish his final round with a under 65. So Morikawa, kudos to him. Congratulations. Just a stupendous job on his part. And we'll see how that translates to next month where September 17th, pretty much right here up the road in my backyard, Westchester County, in Mamaroneck and Wingfoot, where we'll have the U.S. Open. Now, we all know the U.S. Open is usually played over the weekend on Father's Day. Obviously, with COVID, it had to be postponed. But the next major will take place, like I said, in the next county. And that's going to be, everybody's going to be watching that to see how Morikawa's going to do. Obviously, Brooks Kepka. We've talked about Dustin Johnson with his only major, etc. And as far as Tiger's concerned, the one strength in his game is his putting. And that's what foiled him on Friday. Made the cut. Not a problem. His putting became better over the weekend, especially yesterday. But he was well back on the mix. 12 strokes behind the leader in Morikawa. He finished at minus one for the tournament. But that was the one thing that failed him, which has certainly been his biggest strength throughout the years, is the putting greens. He wasn't able to read them as as he thought, and it snuck up on him to the tune where he pretty much fell out of the tournament come Friday. And Tiger's a guy that everybody's going to focus their attention on. We all know he is Tiger Woods. And let's see how he does here at the PGA. You figure he's going to take a little time off. I'm sure he's probably going to play in one tournament between now and then, maybe not the week before. But if there's going to be a tournament two weeks before the 17th, which would actually fall on Labor Day weekend, which I don't even know if there's a tournament off the top of my head, but... Just something to keep an eye on when it comes to a one Eldrick Tiger Woods as he prepares to try to get closer to Jack Nicholas's 18 major wins. As we all know, he's three behind them. So we'll uh, certainly keep our finger on the pulse for that. All right, quickly what's happening with football. As I mentioned at the top, a month from today, the NFL season begins. But obviously with all that time between now and then, it'll be here before you know it and we'll wait to see what the commish and the powers that be the NFL handle this situation when it comes to COVID. As far as players opting out, the deadline was last Thursday. So for any player that were to opt out moving forward, whether it's a new diagnosis and having a high-risk condition or having a family member die, hospitalized, move to a medical facility because of COVID, they can opt out at that time. But we had 69 players Opt out for this year. The New England Patriots had eight players alone. None of the key components, meaning the quarterbacks, are sitting down. And if you had one of the top guns in the league, whether your name was Lamar Jackson, obviously Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, go down the list. If they were to step out due to COVID prior to the deadline, then the NFL would have been in a quandary. But that's not the case. And even though you have some key players that are not going to participate this year, but nothing to the point where you're not going to watch or it's certainly going to hurt whichever team you may root for. As far as Stafford, I know he had that false positive test. Last week we talked about him as well as Gardner Minshew. Minshew is now 100%. So he has the coronavirus behind him. And we once thought that Stafford was also a guy that would be monitored considering what happened with him over the past year, especially with his wife and the family situation with health. That happened to be a false report. So he's been negative and everything's clear with the Lions quarterback. As far as the college football is concerned when it comes to COVID, very interesting news coming from the Power 5 conferences over the weekend. And prior to that, you had UConn was the first team to not have any fall sports from the football bowl subdivision. Also, the MAC Conference, they canceled their football program for this year. All the teams, as well as the full sports. And then the Power Five, yesterday, 
actually contemplating on whether or not to have full sports this season, and that would be a huge blow to college football. And to me, I think it's a no-brainer, even though the good players united on Twitter, whether your name is Trevor Lawrence, he being, of course, the biggest name of all, where they came out with a tweet saying that we want to play as long as protocols, safety across the board is down the line for the benefit of these guys and all these schools that they're willing to play. So kudos to them that they want to go ahead and not miss out on a junior season for one Trevor Lawrence or any of the other players that are coming into this year. We know the Power 5 conferences the ACC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12, and obviously the big one, the SEC. Now, I think it'd be wise, easy for me to say, I'm just a podcast host, but for them to even contemplate this, it's a huge deal. We know how much money college football makes and what the towns generate as far as revenue is concerned, whether you're in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, whether you're in Clemson, for the Tigers, which both of those teams you figure would be one of the top four when it comes to the playoff later on, if this year does kick off. And for them to look at the view from 30,000 feet, knowing that this is just a huge risk, these are college kids, they're not paid players, and for them to do what they can, not only just to instruct the protocols, which is an obvious thing, whether that means in the locker room, the weight room, on the field, that's fine. But how are you going to police these kids outside of that is going to be almost next to impossible. Part of the college experience, and granted, we don't know if a lot of these universities are opening it up to kids. That's been the old controversy now with a bunch of grade school and high schools opening up here throughout our nation, whether or not they should even admit kids into school. But then you have the other side where it's like, well, we got to get some sense of normalcy in. But with the colleges and all the money that's invested with the alumni and these universities, Wisconsin, for instance, they're going to lose $100 million this year. So you can imagine if they're going to lose and they're in a Big Ten conference, what's Alabama going to lose? What's Clemson going to lose? What Georgia's going to lose? Florida, USC, who they said they're not even going to have students come on board at the start of the college season. You get the picture. If... These Power 5 conferences decide to not play this year. And it's not even just because of COVID. We understand that that's the ginormous elephant in the room. But it would be certainly wise for them to pull the plug on this because the last thing that they need, these universities, and we all know these kids are not getting paid. These aren't paid athletes. And granted that they do have scholarships and they're able to perform on these teams at a high level throughout the collegiate level. But at the same time, one of these kids gets sick and God forbid, pass away, you're going to have lawsuits up the rear end and they will never hear the end of it. And then in turn for the NFL, it's different because they're getting paid and revenue, we all know that, but there is no way that the NCAA, as crooked as they may be, and even with these Power 5 conferences, they know they need to be very smart here because the last thing they want to have on their hands And we've seen it already with Michigan State being infected with 30 players on their team or just about the entire team, it seems. And what we saw down in the South weeks back with some of the other teams that contracted COVID and their kids and their schools. As tall of an order as it already is for the MLB and NFL not being able to have the bubble scenario as we've seen in the NBA and NHL successfully, My question is, how can you imagine the 18 to 21-year-old go from dorm room, which they probably have to have their own dorm room, or if any of the kids that are on these teams, they'll probably have to share a room because they're going to have to get tested every day or every other day, and we know that's going to cost a lot of money. Now, the universities can afford it, but at the same time, they're going to have to test these kids daily on the regular and then to quarantine them. On top of that, what are they going to do when it comes to going to class, being around other students, or let's say they have to go get something to eat or they can't go to a cafeteria, how are you going to police these kids? It's bad enough you can't police a Major League Baseball player, and I understand that's one out of, how many, 750 when we talked about Zach Plesak earlier today, but now you're talking about a college kid. And he can't even interact with family, he can't even interact with friends, 
other students, how is this going to be even remotely possible is beyond me. And I'm sure they're taking all this into consideration and it's smart on their part. It's a high risk, high reward deal. And we're talking about kids' lives. We're not talking about professional athletes who once they get the memo, they know this is what they have to do. You mean to tell me college kids are going to do this? And even though it's great to see that the top players in the nation voice their feelings, their thoughts, opinions on Twitter to say, bring it on, we're ready. As long as all the protocols are in place, we'll abide by them. We just want to play. But you know there's going to be a handful that are going to want to go out. There's a big party on campus. There's, and there shouldn't be any parties, but you get my point. It's it, This could just get really ugly. And for them to even consider shutting down, I got to even give them kudos for that. Because if any of these kids come down, and one of them doesn't make it, the NCAA will never hear the end of it. So that's what you got there. And then I just want to bring up a couple of quick U.S. Open tennis notes in reference to coronavirus. Now, Rafael Nadal is not going to play because of his concerns due to the virus. And obviously traveling from Spain into New York. New York, not the hotbed that it once was. It has been stymied, but at the same time, we cannot go back to the old ways of just going out and interacting and things of that nature. We want to keep this sucker low, and I'm sure he watches the news and is aware that New York, the cases have been steady pretty much over the course of the last, I'll say, month to six weeks or so. But he's backed out, as well as the number one ranked women's player of the world, Ash Barty. She's not going to participate in the U.S. Open, which starts... Three weeks from today. So August 31st, we'll start your U.S. Open. No fans. And it's going to be without Nadal and the top women's player on the circuit. So something to bring up, something to just keep in mind as we get closer to the, which would be the second Grand Slam event of this year. Because remember, you had no French Open, which I believe will be played in a couple weeks after. So we know the French Open's at the end of May into June. And Wimbledon was just canceled altogether. So this will be actually be round two of the four Grand Slams, which we're only going to see one more, and obviously Wimbledon will be till next year. So that's what we have there, people. And let me wrap up and talk about my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week is Eddie Alvarez. You're wondering, who is Eddie Alvarez? He is a Miami Marlins infielder who was recently called up to the big leagues. Obviously, everything that happened surrounding the team in reference to coronavirus. Here's a guy who actually won Olympic silver medal for speed skating for our country back in Sochi, the Winter Games in 2014. Baseball was his first love, and he actually grew up in Miami. 30 years old, fulfilled a dream that he never thought would ever come to pass considering the journey of being an Olympian, and now he's actually a major league ball player. He got his first hit over the weekend against the Mets, and despite the fact that it's come during these extenuating circumstances, at least for however long this may be, whether it's the rest of this year if it was just yesterday, next week, whatever it may be, he could actually say that he was a Major League Baseball player and did get a hit in the Major League. So just for that, my man, you're my hero of the week. And then my zero of the week, I could have gone a million different directions here. I'm going to go in two directions and I'll be concise here. Former Angel staffer, Director of Communications, Eric Kay, has been charged by the Drug Enforcement Administration for illegally supplying drugs to Tyler Skaggs. He was the former Angel pitcher who passed away on July 1st in his hotel room. Well, in during a trial, it looks like he's going to be charged with intent to distribute a mixture containing the deadly substance known as fentanyl. And with that, we'll wait to see what's going to happen with this trial. But knowing that he was a part of it and actually brought these drugs that were requested by Skaggs and knowing that fentanyl, obviously it's, it's a killer and it's addictive, Unfortunately, the great purple one himself, Prince, was the one who succumbed to that to, to make a name of note. And that's all you need to know about that. So whether it's him or even the Oakland A's bench coach, Ryan Christensen, for unintentionally making a gesture resembling a Nazi salute following a win last week against Texas, extending his right arm in the air, where the closer had to correct him, Liam Hendricks, he had to go over there and say to him that, hey, that's not the way to do it, and had to adjust that he did apologize for it but obviously it's a bad optic and not that there were any fans in notice and I don't even know if cameras caught it I didn't watch the game 
but certainly he would be my zero of the week as well as the angel staffer. And a quick segue, I understand I didn't delve into that brawl with Ramon Laureano when he got thrown out over the weekend and actually went against the bench coach, or I believe it was the hitting coach, whatever it was on the Houston Astros, where everybody spilled out of the dugouts in close quarters. And obviously in this COVID world, you got to wonder what the suspension is going to be like. Now, Loriano got hit three times over the weekend. He was frustrated, aggravated. He let the worst get to him. Didn't think. And it's tough. When your emotions are running high and you feel like you got hit three times, you're going to be sick of it. And in this case, he got into a verbal discussion with the bench coach of all players or of all people. So therefore, we'll wait to see what the suspensions will hand down to a one Ramon Laureano, and I guess the bench coach is only, he's probably going to get whatever, how many games, but not that that's going to matter. But I know I was supposed to touch on that earlier, so my apologies for not highlighting that during my baseball segment. So that will do it, people. I hope you enjoyed what it is that I have to share with you as far as entertaining and informing you with my opinions and analysis on everything that's happening in the world of sports. Thanks for downloading and listening to this content, whether you're a first-timer, 10th-timer, 100th-timer, or even 149 as I approach episode 150 and for those who haven't done so already you know the drill if you've listened to me before if you haven't subscribed rated or reviewed this podcast on any of the podcast platforms that you listen to this whether it's on apple google play spreaker stitcher spotify iHeartRadio, luminary Castbox, you name it player fm wherever you get your podcast if you go ahead and subscribe rate and review what that will do is increase the visibility of this podcast with the Plenty, the plethora, the overabundance of podcasts that, that are out there. Not even just the sports ones, but just everyone in particular. But for my particular realm, if you could do that, give a little shout out, leave a rating, post a review. I could generate interest with those outside who aren't familiar with the J Reels podcast to attract those guests, whether it's the former athlete, the current athlete, the blogger, sports writer, broadcaster, studio host, down the line. As I try to produce not just one, but two podcasts a week. And if you could go ahead and do that, I would greatly and sincerely appreciate that. And you could also follow me on any of my social media accounts. And also send me a question, comment, criticism, praise, whatever it may be. Please feel free to do so on my Instagram account, JReels, or the JReels Podcast. On Twitter, JReels1, just the number. On Facebook, the JReels Podcast fan page. And then the old-fashioned way by email at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Again, I'm open to whatever it is you have to say, people. I'll follow up with you, answer questions, comments, whatever it is, as I deliver each and every week, at least every Monday, everything that's happening in the sports world, as you well know, this is my passion, this is my love. There's nothing else I would want to do than just do this because as I like to keep you up to date with everything that's happening in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Center to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.